morning. The Old Testament reading this morning is found in the book of Malachi, starting with chapter 3, verse 13. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge, or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test, and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. This is the word of the Lord. The epistle lesson comes from Colossians chapter 1, starting with verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. Cast lots to divide his garments. 
and the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals, who were hanged, railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the gospel of the world.
course, when we go to the Bible and we think about kings in the Bible, probably for you, I don't know, for me, the first one to come to mind is King David, King Solomon, who reigned for about 80 years in Israel between the two of them. And this is often called the Golden Age of Israel. Uh, David, the great conqueror, of course, uh, alleviated the uh, pressure from the enemies through his wars and battles. And then Solomon reigned in peace, great wealth we think of, great wisdom, the golden years of Israel. But kings also set examples for their people. David, we are told, was a man after God's own heart. Uh, we know of his uh, great sin with Bathsheba, however, as his army went out to war and he did not go with them, that kind of thing. Solomon was not wholly devoted to the worship of Yahweh. As we're told, he served the gods of his 700 wives and 300 concubines. And if nothing else, that's a lot of chocolate on Valentine's Day. <laughs> Following Solomon's reign, the kingdom of Israel was split into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, Israel and Judah. And the kings of these two kingdoms did not always follow God. In fact, most often they did not. Until finally God's judgment fell on Israel and two other great kings arose. First, Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, who captured Israel in the north and led the people away into captivity. And then Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, captured Jerusalem and with it all of Judah and led them off to captivity in Babylon. But as we know, God preserved his people, even through the midst of that. And after Cyrus, another king, king of Persia, conquered Babylon, he allowed a remnant of the Jews to return to the Holy Land. 500 years later, in a little off-road town named Bethlehem, a baby was born to a virgin girl named Mary, a descendant of King David, royal lineage, wise men from the east, we think of them as kings, Wise men from the east, from Persia, Babylon, came to worship this baby, saying to Herod, the king that Rome had set up over Palestine, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? So it's a lot about kings. Now we fast forward 33 years and we find that that baby the one born the king of the Jews has grown to be a man, and he enters the royal city, Jerusalem, riding on a donkey in kingly state, and he's welcomed by the crowds and hailed as the king that he is. He was their hope for deliverance from King Herod and from the rule of Rome, hope for the restoration of Israel's golden age, a return to the years of King David and King Solomon, our gospel reading today picks up the narrative six days later, six days after the triumphal entry, and on this Christ the King Sunday, where do we find King Jesus? 
Where do we find the one born king of the Jews? We read in our gospel reading, there followed Jesus a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. Today we find that Jesus is leaving the city, not entering it. We find Roman soldiers, scribes and Pharisees and great crowds of people, but they're not headed for a coronation. They're not going to crown him king this day. They're on their way instead to his crucifixion. And something seems to have gone terribly wrong. And of course, something has gone wrong. But what's wrong is not that Jesus, the Word made flesh, the creator and king of all that is, the one human being who is completely sinless and righteous, who went around loving people and caring for their needs, healing diseases and driving out demons. What's wrong is not that Jesus the Christ is about to be put to death. What's wrong is that the people that he created are in the wrong kingdom, are subject to the wrong king. When Adam and Eve rebelled against the reign of God, God as their king, when they rebelled against that, all of humanity was cast into darkness. And we all became subjects in the kingdom of this world, the kingdom ruled by the devil. That's what's wrong. You who were created for fellowship with God became instead God's enemy serving the wrong king, the usurper, Satan. And what God's word tells us is the beautiful story of God's love, the, the love of a king for his people, and the sacrifices that he, this king, would make to set his people free. No other religion in the world as the king of the universe making the ultimate sacrifice to set things right. And that's why Jesus is brought, that's why Jesus walks to this hill outside of the gate and is nailed to a cross. It's God working to set things right. Paul says again in Colossians, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus hanging there between heaven and earth, blood soaked and torn apart by the cruel whips of the Romans, wearing a crown, but it's a crown of thorns, doesn't look much like a king. But in this self-sacrifice, in this selfless act, as the spotless lamb, the king himself is paying the ransom, his blood atoning for the sins of the world. God is reconciling himself 
to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, and making peace by the blood of his cross. We talked in Bible study this morning here about how some don't want to hear about the blood and the cross. We just want to hear about happy things. Let's talk more about the resurrection. The resurrection is wonderful, and we will talk about that. But we need the cross. We need the bloody sacrifice of the kingdom to pay for our sins, to redeem us. What looks there on the cross like Satan's victory as Jesus breathes his last turns out to be Satan's defeat. And on this Christ the King Sunday, the last Sunday of this church year, it's appropriate that we look to the cross. It is the defining act of love demonstrated by our loving King and Savior. Unlike the passing of Queen Elizabeth II, we don't mourn the death of Jesus in the same way. We don't mourn his passing. We mourn our sin. We mourn what drove him to this sacrifice. But we rejoice that he did it. We rejoice that he went to the cross. And that's because of the resurrection. If there had not been a resurrection, we would have been in mourning still. But because Jesus rose from the dead, because he is reigning on his throne, then we can rejoice at his sacrifice. His kingdom will far outlast any kingdom on earth. Alexander the Great had nothing on our king, Jesus. Luke records that there were these two criminals crucified with Jesus. And the one, of course, rails at Jesus, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And he says, We're dying here because of what we did. This man has done nothing wrong. He does not deserve to be here. And then he speaks to Jesus. Truly, and uh, it says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. How could this criminal, watching this man next to him dying, the criminal dying himself, they're both going to be dead by the end of the day. How can he ask Jesus to remember him when he comes into his kingdom? Only by faith. This man has been given the eyes of faith to see, to believe in his heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah of God. He's been given eyes of faith to see that Jesus is the King. And that somehow in this act of self-sacrifice, he is coming into his kingdom, even as he dies for the sins of the world. And you and I are rejoicing today because we have been given the same eyes of faith as that criminal. Eyes that recognize that our sins too have been forgiven by the atoning death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
through the waters of baptism, we have been brought into his kingdom, out of the kingdom of Satan, out of the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of light. Like that criminal, our sins have condemned us. And like that criminal, we have a savior king who took our death sentence on himself, put our sins, our guilt, our condemnation to death forever. So where is the king? Well, he's on his way out of the city to Golgotha. Where is the king? He's dying on the cross for everyone to see. Where is the king? He's not in the tomb. He is risen from the dead. Where is the king? He's sitting at the right hand of God in heaven, and he's here with us today. He's here in the sacrament. He's here with us as we worship him. his holy word dwelling within us. Where is the king? He's coming back to lead to glory the captives that he has set free. No king has ever played such an important role in history because no king has ever been the point, the focus, the linchpin of history. It is truly his story. You and I have been given a gift of citizenship, citizenship in the kingdom of God. And that gift is not to be hidden away. It is a gift that is to be shared with others. And so we pray that God would grant us the opportunity to do just that, to share with those around us, so that they also can rejoice in the new life that we have in the kingdom of our crucified and risen King, Lord Jesus. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Oh, Amen.
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil.